Ron Ananian. Hey, this is great. This is technology. Look at this. It's, it's going to tell us if we're driving poorly, but do we need it? This is no ordinary machine, Captain. It may well possess a rudimentary intelligence. The car doctor. If I replace it anyway for, you know, just to waste some money. Sometimes wasting that money makes you feel good, though, because at least you know you tried. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, the car doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. Hey, welcome. Ron and Andy and the Car Doctor here, 855-560-9900. Here to take your calls and answer your questions, whatever you've got going on, fender to fender and door to door, as I always say. Um, here also, if you want to get more information, you can get out to cardoctorshow.com. Uh, website talks about this radio show and has all our podcasts and other information and prevalent things like that going on. You can also find links to tunein.com, iHeart, and iTunes.com for podcasting. And if you need me during the week, it's ron at cardoctorshow.com. I often wonder, let me think, of how can I start this um, opening conversation uh, that I've got with you here this hour? Um, you know, one of the things I've noticed at the shop of late is little things grow larger. You know, two weeks ago, uh, two days ago, the kids, we were sitting around the dinner table and they said, how was your day at work, Dad? And I, I started talking about how the unexpected job turned into the bigger job and how it just became monumental out of nowhere. 2010, Lincoln MKX came into the shop at Ari Automotive for a passenger side rear view mirror. Older driver, he kind of had an oopsie um, and miscalculated and knocked it off to the tune of $600 plus for a mirror. Um, unfortunately for him, it was the second time he's done it in the last seven months. So it's getting to be a repetitive job. It's like doing an oil change. You change his oil and his right side, outside passenger rear view mirror uh, for him. But this time was a little different. This time that fairly simple, straightforward mirror repair became four tires. Because as I was walking around the car, walking up to it, getting ready to do the rearview mirror, I noticed a bulge, oh, the size of oh, a good tennis ball in one of the tires. And when I spoke to him about it, yeah, I kind of remember when I knocked the mirror off, when I, when I hit the mirror, I remember a loud bump and a crack, and I, I just I wasn't too sure what happened. So I think he hit a pothole or a curb or something, but he damaged the right front tire. Here's how the job got bigger. This is an all-wheel drive vehicle. It's got 37,000 miles on it. Now the problem is that he's got tires that are better than two-thirds worn. Do you do one? Do you do four? Do you do two? Well, the car doctor's answer was, if I have a choice, I want to do four. Yeah, you could probably cheat and get away and maybe do two, and you're not really sure because you can have some issues with all-wheel drive and rolling diameter of the tires, and that becomes a problem. But... You know, as I said to him, when you're that close in terms of tread depth, when you're that close to the end of the tire's life, why do one or two? Why create the problem? Why make it so that every time you rotate those tires, you're always chasing one end's got a whole heck of a lot more rubber on it than the other? Always do four in a situation like that. It just makes more sense. Unfortunately for him, between the mirror and four 20-inch tires for this Lincoln MKX, 
that $600 repair bill became a $2,000 repair bill. And it's staggering in a sense because you look at, oh, my gosh, look at what this cost. And then you got to think about what the vehicle costs to replace. If you went out and bought another Lincoln MKX, you're in that 55 to 60 grand mark. All of a sudden, two grand doesn't look like an insurmountable number. And that's really what I want you to think about as we kick off this hour of the car doctor is the numbers of auto repair. We don't talk about it a lot. Everybody just says, oh, it's expensive. Define expensive. Look at the cost of the vehicle. Look at what it costs. Somebody was telling me the other day they went in to start looking at they want to buy a new Chevy Suburban. Anybody want to take a guess how much, you know, a, a reasonably equipped, you know, maybe not every bell and whistle, but most of the bells and whistles uh, Chevy Suburban is these days? About $68,000 for a Suburban. And I just went, wow. Um, you know, it makes sense to me. I've, I've, I've heard rumors of Cadillac Escalades being in the $80,000 range. So you start looking at the price of cars and what they're expecting you to pay for them. All of a sudden, two grand for tires and a mirror doesn't look all that bad. Either that or the dollar is worth a whole lot more or less than we actually think it is. So, But um, just be mindful of numbers as we kick off this hour of the car doctor and start to um, maybe possibly kick it around a little bit and think, well, is that really a lot of money in comparison to the price of the vehicle? And that's my point this hour because the little job all of a sudden gets to be big. But the goal is to keep you safe, and that's really what it's all about. 855-560-9900 is the phone number. That's the Car Doctor's 24-7 line. Uh, This radio show is live out on the network Saturday afternoons, 2 to 4 p.m. If you call 855-560-9900 during, well, anytime, anytime we're not on the air, anytime other than 2 to 4 p.m. Saturday afternoons, Eastern Time, there is a messaging service attached to that. You can leave a message and fast Harry. Our executive producer will call you back and put you in queue, and we can talk about your car problem, whatever that might be. Coming up a little bit later on this hour, we're going to be talking to Matt Eaton uh, from Denso. Matt is going to be stopping by to talk to us about their Iridium TT spark plugs, and that's their twin tip plug and what that's all about and the changes that Denso is bringing to the spark plug market and the engineering behind it as they reinvent the wheel, so to speak, and um, that's just really what they're doing with their Iridium TT plug. So uh, we look forward to that. But right now, let's kick open the garage doors and get the line out the door if we can and start to work our way through it. Let's go talk to Dave with some questions regarding, oh, I don't know, it's around an 07 Mustang. So let's see what's going on here. Dave, welcome to the car doctor, sir. How can I help? Hey, thanks for, thanks for checking my call. You're welcome. Actually, um, it's, it's, it's not about the, my Mustang, actually. It's uh, more of a maintenance question in general. Okay. Um, I'm one of those... Uh, 64-year-old guy that's been a gearhead car guy his whole life, you know, built his first go-kart when he was like 12 and rebuilt my first carburetor when I was like 14 years old. So. Congratulations. But, we, we probably shared some turf somewhere together in our sordid youth. <laughs> uh, if not, we definitely share a, a lot of interest. I'm yep, sure of that. I'm sure of that. And uh, I've, I've been the, you know, the family uh, car maintenance repair guy, neighbor repair right, guy yeah. in the neighborhood kind of person. And anyhow, the discussion came up with one of my buddies uh, who is sort of the same way, another another car guy. And I'm as far as maintenance, in fact, your lead-in talking about the cost of new cars sort of is why I'm the way I am about maintenance because I try and get every inch out of a car, you know, every bit of life I can out of it just because of the cost of replacement so high. But when, when I look at maintenance, and I'm curious on your comments on this, 
I look at things beyond, like most people think of it as an oil change or an air filter, and okay, that's my car maintenance. But um, what's your thoughts on like uh, what? How this came about was I had just put new uh, upstream O2 sensors in my 2002 Explorer, uh, just passed over about 75,000 miles, and for me that's you know the time when you start doing some of those kind of things. And the guy looked at me like, "Was did you have a check engine light?" I'm no, I didn't. And, was there a problem? Well, it's, you know, O2 sensors are one of those things, in, at least in my mind, that have a, a lifespan, and I, and at least in my way of thinking, to my limited knowledge of them, that they start to function, you know, maybe a little slower and a little less effectively the older they get. So when I do maintenance, you know, to me, that is a normal maintenance. I'll replace O2 sensors at 75,000, 80,000 miles. Or do you also, I, do you also I, base it on time, Dave? Yeah, I do base it on time sometimes on certain things. Um, uh, there's a lot of things like um, it's 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 hard to say because my most most of my vehicles the, the mileage and time is sort of consistent always on them, you know. Right. But um, but also things like you know I I take out the uh, mass airflow and every every roughly fifteen thousand miles just clean it off, you know, make sure it's clean, get all the any carbon that's on it off, put it back in. Uh, I I do a lot of things like that. Um, and this one, what, what are your thoughts on car maintenance, other than what everybody typically thinks? Of? Yeah, Am I you know what you're, what, what you're no, what you're asking me is, you know, what, what what's what's the real maintenance behind the scenes? What's the stuff beyond fluids and just normal filters? And it's exactly. it's, it's a great question. Unfortunately. It's not one I really get to talk about much because it's so hard to convince people to do the basics first, you know, to do the oil change, to do the air filter, to do the cabin filter. Uh, you know, we actually had a scenario last week in the shop where a new customer came in. We were doing the oil change, and they watched three people come in, walk out, and they were all asking for a 15, and then one asked for a 30, and another one asked for another 30K service. And the conversation was about cabin filters and all the normal maintenance things, and when when they had gone and left, the new person sitting there, you know, started asking about cabin filters. They had a sixty-five thousand mile Ford Mustang, as a matter of fact, I believe it was, uh, with a cabin filter that had never been changed. And the conversation, be you know, went through the whole thing about why and how, and but they just looked at me like I was trying to sell them the Brooklyn Bridge, and you know, <laughs> the, the, the connection didn't get made. So it, it's one of the reasons why I've never really been able to get this far. And um, I appreciate the question. I'll tell you what, Dave, stay put. Let me pull over and take this pause. And when we come back, let's have a real quick conversation about what are the extra maintenance things that help really prolong the life of the car and avoid problems. I love this question. I'm Ron Anany and the Car Doctor. We'll be back right after this. the car doctor here we've got dave on the line some comments and questions about regular automotive maintenance dave are you still there i'm still here Ron. you know above and beyond the normal plugs and filters and fluids that manufacturers call for what you're really asking for is yeah you know would i change an o2 sensor at seventy-five thousand miles i also look at years 
All right, Dave, I, I look at the age of the vehicle. One of the things I've always questioned about O2 sensors that I've never gotten a clear answer on is, you know, back in the day when we used five gas emissions benches more, the O2 sensors always had a lifespan of three to five years. And the rationale, the argument I got was because that they were always active and they were always producing a voltage. They were always working regardless of whether the machine was on or not because oxygen was always around them. And over a period of time, they claimed that they would fail and start to lose their accuracy and wear out, per se. And that was the best explanation anybody ever gave me. They didn't get down into the nitty-gritty beyond that. I took that, and I, I applied it to automobiles, and I said, well, gee, an O2 sensor is an O2 sensor. If it's, if it's sampling oxygen content, then why isn't that applicable to an automobile as well? Never got an answer to that one. Matter of fact, a lot of engineers looked at me kind of funny, thinking, what's wrong with this guy? Why is he overcomplicating this? Which... I'm not, I think. You know, an O2 sensor is an O2 sensor. If the vehicle is five years old to 75,000 miles on it, I'm not going to tell you not to do it. Maybe it's a tad early. If the vehicle's eight to 10 years old with an O2 sensor in it, 75,000 miles, yeah, I'd probably start thinking about doing it because otherwise you're going to find that you'll find out that the O2 is bad once it degrades to the point that a check engine light pops on and now it might have compromised catalytic converter life and created more expensive problems down the road. Uh, does that make sense for you? Yeah, and, and that's sort of my logic behind it. I mean, you know, the if I mean, you talk about something expensive on a car, put two cats on a car, right, that's, sure. that's big it's money. Big money. Yet, um, you know, I don't, you know, the downstream O2 sensors, I don't really care because if everything is taken care of upstream, they're going to be okay. Right, you know, right. They're just telling you if, if, if the cats are functioning and, yeah, I mean, I'm glad to hear you say that because that's sort of been my philosophy right. is that, you know, the O2 sensor starts to get older, maybe, because it isn't my, no way I understand it. They're constantly reading and therefore the computer is switching lean to rich, lean to rich back and forth. Sure, keeping they're, constantly they're, balanced, they're right? always working. By the same token, a bottle, right. a bottle of fuel system cleaner in the tank, cleaning mass airflow sensors, staying on top of the battery, not just keeping the battery terminals clean, but keeping the battery clean, keeping the outside case of the battery moisture and dirt free. Uh, you know, worrying about terminals and connections and applications like plow trucks uh, that are always apart and together in, in, in moisture environments, keeping those covered with dielectric grease, siliconing windows and window track assemblies with a spray silicone so the rubber doesn't dry out and the mechanism doesn't start to jam and drag the rubber. All those things will help promote the life of the vehicle, and it's all those little touches that, yeah, you know what, it's like the day Susie turned around to me and said, if I don't get a new car this year after we were married 28 years, she goes, I'm going to go nuts. So we had to buy her a new car. It was um, she married the wrong guy because I could keep the car going forever. Um, and I think we've kind of talked about that here on air. It's um, it's just part of the process. Dave, I hope that uh, I hope that answers it for you. I've got to move on to the next caller. By all means, uh, stay in touch. And if you've got anything else I can do for you, drop me a line, Ron, at cardoctorshow.com. Let's get over and talk to Maureen from New York with some questions about a 2003 Pontiac Grand Am. Maureen, you're on with the car doctor. How can I help? Yes. Hi, Ron. Thank Hi. you uh, very much for taking my call. You're welcome. Um, oh, thank you. Um, I bought this car used about two years ago, and um, I had been getting it serviced for minor things, um, you know, uh, just just minor things um, like the brake shoes and things like that. Uh, but I had brought it to the, my mechanic and he is an auto body specialist. Uh, he mainly does auto body work. So I okay. thought I would 
bring that up to you. Uh, he does also do repair, and um, because there was a leak under the car, right? And but it was clear leak, and I found out that it was from the air conditioner. So that's you know, I was happy to hear that. When I brought it to him, he lifted the hood, and he said it was low on coolant. Now I don't know. I've had the car for two years, so I don't know when it was last. I, I just never got any warning signal about right. the coolant. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I need, I, need, uh, I, need, I, need a, I need a question, Maureen. The clock's going to take oh, me, on. Oh, okay. Um, the question is, um, uh, what, does, just because it's low on coolant, does that mean that I have to get a big job like a, a gasket? I no, mean, I, no, not at all. What it, oh. what, it, what it means is that somebody hasn't been checking and staying on top of the coolant level. So here's the deal. All right, here's what you want to know. Here's the takeaway. You want to have a mad coolant. Put a mark on the bottle once he bleeds the system out and say, okay, it's it's midway typically between the high and the low mark. And two weeks or a month from now, when the engine is cool or you bring it to him for service and he lifts the hood and he looks, is the coolant somewhere in that range? If you find over the short term or the long term you're continually adding coolant, then yes, obviously it's going somewhere. But on an older vehicle that you're not sure of cooling system history, and here's the case in the argument for making sure you do coolant service and keeping track of what you do, then perhaps there's additional service, additional repair needed here. So step one, bring the bottle up the level, make sure it's where it's supposed to be, using the correct coolant. In this case, it's going to be GM Dex Cool in all probability. It'll be an orange-colored coolant. Bring the coolant bottle up the level, make a mark, drive it, and in two weeks, maybe he can even show you where the coolant bottle is. Someone can help you lift the hood and look under there when the engine is cold before you start out in the morning. Where's the level? Is the level where it's supposed to be? And uh, if not, then we've got to start to look for a cooling system leak. That's a conversation for another day. By the way, one particular point, this is an 03 Pontiac. It's an older vehicle. It's, well, it's 12, 13 years old now. That coolant bottle may be so contaminated, it may be hard to see the coolant level, and perhaps you want to consider replacing it to help, uh, number one, read the level correctly, and number two, help keep from further contaminating the cooling system if it is indeed dirty on the inside. Um, That is part and parcel part of what could be a future problem. Maureen, I enjoyed the conversation. Hey, coming up next... Matt Eaton from Denso. We're going to talk a little bit about Iridium TT, Iridium Twin Tip. Say that seven times fast. Iridium Twin Tip. Spark plug. I'm Ron and Andy in the car, Doctor. Back right after this. Don't go away. car doctor here you know probably one of the most ignored parts of the vehicle in the last oh uh, i would say five to ten years it's 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 quite a span is the spark plug the poor lowly spark plug that nobody seems to pay attention to anymore and it's becoming an issue it's becoming an issue for a lot of reasons and we thought to help get some of the answers to that we would reach out to one of the best a uh, gentleman by the name of Matt Eaton. Matt is with Denso, and he is here today to talk to us about spark plugs and the technology behind it and how it's changing. Matt, welcome to the car, Dr. Sir. Thank you. Glad to be here. Um, spark plugs have really 
changed since their inception, Matt. And, you know, it used to be a spark plug when I broke into the business every 10,000 miles, and now it's it, it can go a lot longer. What are some of the changes that have occurred? Is it engine? Is it design of the plug? Is it ignition system? What's created this, this change in the way they're they're replaced? You know, really, it's the material being used. Um, back in the day, it used to be a copper or nickel uh, material on the center electrode. And then it became platinum in the 80s and 90s, and nowadays everybody's using iridium. Now, is is that... Can you take an iridium plug, and for somebody out there that has an older vehicle, can they can they use an iridium plug in a 30-year-old engine without any consequences? They're just going to get the benefit of longer life? Absolutely. They get the benefit of longer life and, uh, in most cases, improved combustion as well. Is, is there an issue with, you know, if that iridium plug, and the myth has always been that an iridium plug with a precious metal on the tip, you're not going to change the gap. Um, it, first of all, uh, first part of my question is, is that correct? And the second is, so if you have an older vehicle that you wanted to run in an iridium-style plug in it, do you have to change the gap? What are the issues there? Well, you have to be very careful. Uh, iridium is a very brittle element. It's actually the densest element and most uh, corrosive-resistant. Uh, but um, it is very brittle and fragile, uh, especially in the cases um, where the... Uh, the diameter has been reduced significantly. And uh, when you have a very small, brittle material, um, if you're trying to regap the plug and you accidentally come into contact with that center electrode, it could crack or chip. And, of course, that would destroy the value of the spark plug and, and uh, cause misfiring, that sort of thing. Right. So you have to be very careful if you're going to mess with the gap. And, and that creates an issue. So suffice it to say, if you've got an engine that doesn't have iridium, but those plugs are just really tough to replace. It's safe to say one of the bigger advantages here is that with an iridium plug, you only have to go through the pain. Well, you, just to say you don't have to go through the pain as often to replace those spark plugs, and that's a big advantage. Yes. Um, you certainly are going to save in, uh, in preventive maintenance time. Um, iridium nowadays is, is uh, lasting in excess of 100,000 miles, and uh, compared to the copper-nickel plugs of, of between 10 and 30,000, of course, that is very significant, and, and for most owners, that's the life of, uh, of their ownership of that vehicle. So, safe to say, typical lifespan of a spark plug is predicated on what kind of material it's made out of. Absolutely. So not every spark plug is a 100,000-mile plug. It's got to be iridium or an equivalent, if there is one, in order to hit that mark. Yes. Not only does it have to be iridium, uh, usually on the center electrode, but uh, also some other durable material on the ground electrode, usually on the surface of the ground electrode. Uh, either a platinum chip is placed there or a little pad. And in the case of our latest product, Iridium TT, it's sort of a protrusion, uh, like a, a, a needle-like protrusion. It's uh, uh, what we're calling our twin-tip design. Right. Now, the Iridium TT plugs that you've got out, um, is that a performance plug, or is that something for mom's Malibu? Is that for everybody's car, or is that just for the performance-minded set? No, as a matter of fact, it's it's not uh, geared toward the performance enthusiasts. However, we'll work fine in those applications where we have a compatible heat range. Um, but it was designed uh, for the daily driver, 
and uh, what it does is extend the life of their their spark plug, and uh, and of course saves them money in the long run and and uh, and hassle as well. Um, but it's much more than than just the durability of the spark plug. It's the TT design, uh, this concept of the uh, needle-to-needle or twin-tip design that we have uh, uh, here is, is what, uh, what's really going to give the benefit of, of a higher performance. And that performance or ignition performance translates into better fuel economy and also better or lower emissions. So, in a sense, you guys at Denso if I can say it that way, have really created the better mousetrap. You've, you've taken something as simple or complicated, depending on your perspective as a spark plug, and you've made it better. Absolutely. There's no question. Uh, we're very confident that we feel we've, we've created the, the best possible spark plug uh, available. Now, in the old days, when, when, when God was young and the car doctor just started out repairing cars, um, I was always taught that dab of anti-seize on the threat of a spark plug when you're replacing them. Does that still hold true? Uh, not anymore. Uh, the reason is because now that the plugs are, are uh, existing so long in the head, uh, 100,000 miles, that's a long time, and a lot of heat over that period of time. And over that period of time, that, uh, that anti-seize is, is going to change, and the characteristics are actually going to cause the, the opposite effect, which is, is make it seize. It's, it's going to bind in the head, and then we still can't get the plug out. Exactly. Any issues with, well, I'm trying to think of how to ask this question. So when I use an Iridium TT, um, safe to say on a modern engine with, you know, no drivability issues and, and good maintenance, I'm good for 100,000 miles, right? Absolutely. What happens when I take that to 120 or 140,000? Because maybe I'm not maintenance-minded and maybe I'm, I'm trying to squeeze the nickel, for lack of a better way to put it. Um, do I run the risk of hurting anything? Uh, no. Uh, in the case of Iridium TT, we always say over 100,000 miles, but, but really um, we're very confident that in, in almost every application it's going to exceed 110,000. And there's also uh, usually a 20% error on that. So we're, we're very confident that it's going to perform well above the 100,000-mile mark. Right. Now, on an older plug or a non-Iridium plug, if I went beyond the limit, I could possibly have issues with ignition coils and putting a load on the ignition coil and creating an issue as the gap got bigger, correct? Yes, absolutely. As, right. uh, as I mentioned before, the, the basic issue with, uh, with the iridium, um, when it doesn't have the platinum portion on the ground electrode, um, it's going to significantly reduce the longevity of the spark plug. And then, of course, it's going to uh, draw more uh, load to the coil and, and uh, have other issues. It's going to be a problem. Hey, Matt, stay mm-hmm. put. I've got a couple of more things I want to go over with you, and I don't want to rush this. This is too good of an interview. I'm Ron Anany and the Car Doctor. Matt Eaton and I will both be back. We're talking spark plugs from the folks at Denso. Stay tuned. Nothing can catch you. Nothing can touch my phone. I'm here today with Matt Eaton. Matt is the manager for maintenance parts from the nice folks over at Denso. Denso Parts, and it's not just spark plugs over there, but we're talking spark plugs today. 
And Matt, when we left, we were talking about everything regarding spark plugs and, and iridium and some of the things that uh, make a spark plug fail, as well as some of the things that make a spark plug last longer. Iridium TT, and I don't think we gave that enough credit, enough due, the technology behind that. Can you talk a little bit about the Iridium TT spark plugs? Sure. Uh, maybe we should start by saying there's there's uh, your basic Iridium plug, and, and that's just an Iridium uh, tip on the center electrode. And then there's the, uh, the OE type, or Irid- original equipment type, Iridium plug, and that has uh, iridium on the center electrode and, a, and a, usually a pad of platinum on the ground electrode, and that's that's how you achieve the the hundred thousand mile mark is our, you know the use of those precious metals. In the case of iridium TT, um, there's a big difference, and uh, and that is the ground electrode. Instead of putting a platinum pad there, um, and we're putting in sort of a needle-like protrusion. We're calling it a twin-tip design. So this platinum needle sticks down from the ground electrode and directly faces the, the iridium electrode on the other side. And what that does is it allows us to open up that area, much like a larger gap would in the, uh, the older style plugs. And uh, that open area um, allows for that flame to propagate better. Think of it as um, opening that area up and, and reducing the interference of the, the large metal electrode and, and uh, therefore uh, improving the overall uh, flame kernel growth. And uh, that, of course, uh, results in, in better ignition and uh, a better burn. And, and in layman's terms, what you're really describing for those out there that might have a hard time envisioning this, um, when the spark occurs and it lights the mixture, creates a fireball in the cylinder. What, what, what you're describing, and correct me if I'm not saying this correctly, but what you're describing is you've achieved a more efficient and complete way to light the fireball along a wider front for better use of the fuel and more complete combustion. Fair way to say it? That's exactly it. It's the absorption of that spark energy into the ground electrode and, and any other metal around it, which reduces the efficiency of that uh, that fireball, as you're saying, that, that growing fireball. And, uh, of course, it's that, that growth which gives us the better burn, which results in better performance, better fuel economy, lower emissions. It, it's all related. And, and this is something specific to Iridium TTs? That's correct. So fair, fair, fair statement. Um, not all iridium spark plugs are created equal. <laughs> no, definitely right. not. Our yeah. mind. Gotcha. Hey, Matt. You know, as we wind things down, what sort of indicators? You know, maybe somebody doesn't want to follow mileage as a replacement. Or is there anything that they might see as far as maybe it's time to replace plugs, either a little early or a little later? What are some of the things the consumer can look for, other than just looking at the odometer to decide when to change plugs? Sure. Things to look for would be difficulty in starting the engine, uh, rough idle or misfires, um, sluggish acceleration, and loss of power while going up a hill. And uh, probably the most important thing these days is reduction in fuel economy. Um, people are, are very concerned about that. Yeah, fuel economy you know, being so, so forefront on everybody's mind. Um, it, it is a big issue. Matt, I appreciate you taking the time today. Where can the listeners go get more information? Uh, com is the direct site for that product, and our corporate site is denzoaftermarket.com. Great. And I, I imagine there's some YouTube videos out there that talk about 
uh, this particular product as well as is there a Facebook page for you? Yes. Yes, there is. Perfect. Matt Eaton, Denso, we appreciate it. Listen, I use you guys in the shop all the time. Great stuff. Can't say enough about it. And um, matter of fact, the salesman was in not two weeks ago, and he started his spiel. And I said, listen, I held my hand up, and I said, save your breath. I already use you. I know who you are. It's good stuff. No complaints here. And um, it kind of made him giggle, and it made his day. He, uh, we had a real nice conversation. So uh, you guys keep up the good work. The guys out here like me, we just really appreciate all your efforts in trying to make a better mousetrap. Oh, thank you. You're very welcome, Matt. You take care. You take good care, and you have a good day. I'm Ron Annie in the car, Doctor. We are back right after this. Ride, 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 get you to ride. Welcome back. Ron and Amy in the car, Doctor. Once again, I want to say thanks to Mark Eaton over at Denso and all the products that he is helping to bring to the marketplace with all the folks over there at Denso. Again, if you want more information about them and their Iridium TT spark plugs, it's DensoTT.com. And uh, again, we appreciate him taking the time this weekend. Um, As we close out this hour, just a couple of notes and a quick story. And I think I have to bring Tom on air here. Um, we want to tell everybody about the science project we had this week, Tom? Yeah, well, uh, you know, we've had a, uh, I've got a 2010 Ford Escape that has 180,000 miles on it. And, and I keep kidding, Tom, because I say, you know, you're going to drive the wheels off of this thing. And, <laughs> and you know, we've been taking care of it in the shop. And um, we'll change the oil and let him go 5,000 miles on synthetic. And he'll be back in in the blink of an eye. Sometimes it seems like it's the next week, but exactly, it, it, it's, 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 it's not that bad. Um, but we've been talking about replacing the alternator air conditioning belt. And yes. Why don't you pick it up from there? Uh, well, the other morning I dropped my daughter off at, uh, at work. She, uh, she works at a veterinarian's clinic. She's interning. And uh, I pulled out of the parking lot, went about a quarter mile, and suddenly, and, and I was really surprised the car reacted this way, the transmission violently shifted down to low gear. The engine revved up to 5,000 RPM. And then all of a sudden, it just, everything stopped. It came to a screeching halt. The powertrain didn't disengage. And I stopped with squealing tires right in the middle of the street. Luckily, it was only, I was only doing about 25 miles an hour and there was no traffic. I was able to restart the car, got a check engine light, which I expected, got a battery light all, it, almost immediately. And I said, oh boy, something I think I know what that, yeah, yeah, I, I think I know what that was. And then it, I found a nice place to pull in. And sure enough, the, uh, the that serpentine belt on that side of the engine had snapped, and I'm sitting there also looking at bare wires going, oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, the, the science experiment part of this is that, you know, the life cycle of those are, it's five years, 100, 120,000 miles. Now, we've been hearing that belt make noise for a while, and Tom and I kind of looked at each other and we went, eh, how far would it really go? We found out. We found out. Um, we we actually should have changed it, and it's 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 not something we recommend you do, uh, the listeners out there. And we don't, you know, say, hey, let's just drive the car until the wheels fall off. It was sort of an inside joke that it kind of bit us in the in the backside. And the point of this story is that, yeah, you know what, bad things happen to good people, even with the best of intentions. So, you know, if you haven't replaced belts, if you haven't replaced hoses. 
and your vehicle is up there in mileage. You know, Tom's at 180,000-plus miles now, and that car's still got some life left in her. He's on the road a lot as he's, he's driving around doing his radio show stuff um, uh, during the week before he gets to do this radio show stuff here on the weekend. And, um, you know, belts do go bad. They do break. They're not infallible. And if you're driving with original belts and hoses, five years old, 150,000 miles, 140,000 miles, and it's it's time to really start thinking about uh, replacing it. Otherwise, not a fun experience, right, Tom? Oh, no, not at all. And uh, as a matter of fact, I wrote a note to Ford because I think we found a software bug. Yeah, well, it's it's yeah, it's it's something that's uh, got to be recommended. Hey, I can see by the hands of the great Favog, it's time to go. I'm Ron Anini and the car doctor reminding you, good mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. See ya. See ya.